Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing this morning? It is so good. So good to see. How in the world can it not be a good day when you see all those baptisms happen on that screen all over this region? We welcome all of uh, the churches, all of the locations, all across this three-state region. So thankful for you. And you can see by the fruit what God is accomplishing. Who can say God isn't moving around here? He's moving in powerful, powerful ways. If you're inside, online, .tv, we're thankful that you're joining with us as well. And you know for uh, about, a, we're coming in on well, a year and a half, a little bit more than a year and a half, we've been in a generosity initiative called Wreck the Roof. And once a month, we share a testimony with a family or an individual that's being moved by uh, that generosity and how the, uh, they're interfacing with the church and, and their lives to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And today you're going to be uh, hearing from Adam and Catherine Adrian. And uh, Catherine, uh, that's in this video, precedes me at the, at the crossing. She was here before me, and I think she was seven or eight years old when I, when I came here. And uh, they have such a passion for foster parenting. And I just want you to hear uh, their uh, testimony this morning. So watch the video. Hi, I'm Adam Adrian. This is my wife, Kat. Um, we currently have two foster daughters, um, ages nine and eight, and one bonus daughter in Chicago who is seven. We currently have been uh, going to the crossing together for four years, and we attend the 48th Street campus. We made a wreck the roof commitment because the church asked, and we wanted to say yes. Um, some may wonder why commit? Why do we do what we do? And I think it ultimately is birthed out of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the gospel message. You know, he loved us enough to die on the cross for our sins. And because he loved us, we're able to love others and we're able to be generous um, with our time, talents, finances. Throughout this journey, I think he's really shown me, and I assume you, that he just wants one step. He wants one yes, and he has the next one planned. He has the next uh, invitation planned, but we don't have to know what that is, and we don't even have to be able to dream it. But he wants to see that, yes, I'll go from giving to being generous. And I think, for me, it's been a journey of discovering his goodness and his will and his plan and discovering really being the key word because I had no idea where we were going when we made that first commitment. Some of the conflict that we had um, with making our Wreck the Roof commitment as well as bringing in foster kids is probably our energy, our time, um, our resources, um, a lot of times they come with nothing and we're committed to giving money to the church, but we're also accepting a human into our home 
had that has needs and he's always taking care of our needs and our desires and the needs and desires of these little humans that have come into our home. There's definitely a cost that comes with uh, making that commitment, obviously monetarily, um, but he is faithful. And as we um, show generosity to them, show them how um, a husband's supposed to treat a wife, as we um, do those things, they get a, um, be close to the source, the light um, that we have inside of us, um, which is Christ. And um, just as we try to teach them about money and how to be generous, um, we only hope and pray that they can take what we have taught them and be generous themselves. And we've seen countless times where they've had toys um, that they don't play with anymore. And they're like, hey, we should donate this to Connect, um, our nonprofit that we started to help the foster community. And it's, it's encouraging that it's not a bunch of lip service, um, it's actually rubbing off on them. And we often got the question of, why would you do that? Why would I take 10%, let alone beyond that, and give it to somebody when someday I may need that, or today I may need that? And so that's just a conversation we've been able to have again and again because it doesn't, financially giving doesn't register well with them because it is not logical. But to us, it's the only answer. I think what we look forward to the most um, with our Wreck the Roof commitment as we continue on past the two-year window of Wreck the Roof is just uh, being a part of a church that um, updates their campuses to be relevant and to um, have good child programming so that um, people in the community would want to come to this church. and. Uh, Jerry and Clayton say it over and over again, it's about winning lost souls to Christ. And I think that we are gonna continue to wreck our proverbial roofs over and over again, even past the time frame of wreck the roof um, to do what we need to do to reach lost souls. And I'm excited and I know we're excited um, to be a part of a church like that. I praise God for that uh, testimony. And one of the things that I heard that just stuck out to me uh, when Adam was talking was they come uh, to us with nothing. And uh, I was thinking about the whole concept of fostering and adoption. And adoption is uh, a basic concept in uh, walking a life of faith because all of us uh, were adopted into the family of God. There's only one natural born child of God, and that is Jesus Christ. And the rest of us have been adopted into his family. And just like what they were sharing, that's the way we come into the family of God. We come with nothing. And then he provides us with so many good things. He just fills us up with good things. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that, that we have a God like that, that we have a savior like that, and we can live in a reality uh, like that. And speaking of good things, having 28 baptisms last week, that was a good thing. And nine of those, listen to those, 
nine of those, at least nine, at least nine of those were spontaneous, which means people came to church and they had no idea that that's what they were going to do by the end of that service. And there was something that moved them and motivated them. We know that's the Holy Spirit saying, today's the day. I need to do that. And uh, I can still feel those wheels turning. And, and we learned that, you know, that's really the first step in becoming a, a Christ follower. That's why we're in this series. It's a critical series called Closed on Sunday. And I know that's kind of a misnomer a little bit. Like, what do you mean closed on Sunday? It means that I'm not going to do those other things until I have this priority down. This is the priority of my life. And I'm going to live out these 10 basic things that are set out for me uh, so that I can really be who I claim to be. And that is a Christ follower, right? They're laid out in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. And those are really important verses because those uh, verses describe how the church was born. And the first thing that they did in 41 was 3,000 of them were baptized and added to their number that day. And on the weekend of February 2nd, Super Bowl weekend, we're going to have a baptism weekend. And if uh, you're thinking about it right now, you may want to ask some questions. You want to, might want to do some study. But what a great, great day to join others in making this declaration. I mean, Super Bowl doesn't have to be all about football. It doesn't have to be about football commercials or hot wings. It can be about making a life-altering, eternity-altering decision for Jesus Christ. I want you to be considering that. But you don't have to wait till then. The water's warm right now. Uh, we just baptized three in the last service, you know, and it's still, the water's still great. And uh, we still have dry towels, okay? You don't have to even use the, somebody else's towel, all right? So I want you to consider that all of our locations. So we're in this New Year's resolution time, right? And I think those are all about maximizing blessings and minimizing hardships. But I'll tell you, hang on to these 10 things that we're learning, baptism and then what we're gonna learn today. And I think it'll be the best decision you ever made because what it'll do is enhance the joy of the blessings in life and it'll give you hope in the hardships because we all have those. Today, we're gonna talk about what would probably be the one that gives us the most trouble over all the others. And somebody right now, one of our locations is going, Mildred, he's going to be talking about money. No, I'm not. I think there's actually a subject that gives more trouble than talking about money. And that's this word, ready? Authority. I think we struggle with authority. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Listen, they were devoted. That's a Greek word, proskatero. What it means is that they inclined themselves forward with great passion. Like they were all about it. They were throwing their arms around. They were devoted to it, right? To what? Apostles' doctrine or the apostles teaching. So it's teaching, but included in this is this concept of authority because the apostles were recognized as that, right? From the moment of birth of the church, there was this authority structure and that authority structure at that time in its infancy were the apostles, right? Now, let's just be honest. We don't like authority. We don't. 
Some inside of us, right? There was a 2019, which so just this last year, Pew Research Study that confirmed that Americans have a negative attitude about institutional authority and actually authority of all kinds, and it's just dropping like a rock. Whether you're talking about government, elected officials, education, journalism, healthcare, business, the police, science, the military, and even religion, anything that has the, the taste of authority that's institutional, people are losing their trust in record amounts. And the younger we are, the less trust in institutions we have, generally speaking. Now, this lack of trust, it bleeds down. It's not just institutional in nature. There's a general lack of trust in each other over anything. We have a problem with each other. And we can blame it on a lot of different things, technology, social media, you can blame it on a lot of things. But we struggle trusting each other anymore. Now, on the flip side of this, that same study showed this, and this is interesting, that nearly everyone knows that this needs to be reversed, that that's not a good thing. And they actually believe that it can be reversed. They just don't know how to do it. The thing is that authority is essential. It's absolutely essential for anything in society to work properly. You know that, right? It doesn't matter if you're talking about any institution or your marriage or your family or your job. Listen, decisions are going to have to be made and direction is going to have to be established. And that comes through authority. So the only way we can skirt this whole issue of authority is to do things and be completely alone. And the Bible's clear about that. It's not good for us to be alone. We aren't designed to be alone all the time. We're designed to exist in a community, in a family, in a relationship with God and with one another, right? But we don't like it. We don't like it. We don't like authority. We don't like it when we have a boss who tells us what to do. We don't like it when the state or the federal government tells us, here's the taxes you're going to have to pay. We don't like it when a policeman pulls us over and says, here's how much you were speeding, and here's your ticket that you have to pay. We don't like it when the bank calls us up and said, hey, you're late with your payment. We don't like it when the doctor says, hey, I'm not going to fulfill your prescription until you come in and, and you're seen by me again. We don't like it when the professor says, here's your required assignment when you don't want that assignment. But we need to have the job. We need to have the house, the car, the citizenship, the health care, the degree, right? So we put up with authority, even though we don't like authority. So we accept it because our lives require those things. But we might have a different reaction if we don't think that that's absolutely essential in our lives. Like when it comes to church, we might go, oh, I, don't, I don't have to do that. There's enough in my life that I have to put under authority. I don't need to put that under authority. I don't have to deal with that authority as well. You know why? It's because rebellion is in our nature. It's in our sinful nature. And the Bible is very clear, not only about our sinful nature, but about authority, right? It's clear that we're supposed to submit to authority. Now listen to this. We're supposed to submit to authority outside the church, from a secular standpoint, and inside the church. So let's talk about the outside part. 
First, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Apostle Paul's writing, and this is what he says. Everyone, how many is that? Yeah. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, before you get all freaked out about like American government, I want you to understand the context of where the Apostle Paul was saying this. This was the Roman Empire. And the emperor was a guy named Nero. And he said that. God has established it. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Do you realize that under Nero's authority, the apostle Paul was taken down the road in Rome and beheaded? Do you realize that Nero would impale Christians, cover them in tar, and use them to light his dinner parties? And he said that? How about Simon Peter? A lot of people think, well, those are kind of the leaders of the church, you know, Peter and Paul. First Peter chapter two, verses 13 and 14. It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether it's to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. You realize that's the same Simon Peter that was taken down into the Colosseum and crucified upside down by that same leader, Nero? Did you think about that? In Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul instructs Titus that we're to embrace this. To You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith, love, and in endurance. This is true about what God expects outside the church, and it's also true about what God expects inside, within the church, right? So how is it put together? How is authority put together in the Word of God for the church today? Well, our spiritual authority begins with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we call him the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the ultimate authority, in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says these words. Then Jesus came to them and said, All, how much? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now in this scripture, we tend to want to talk about what comes next. Because it's where Jesus says, Now go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. We call that the Great Commission. But the Great Commission is delivered on the foundation of, the, of Jesus Christ's authority. And so we don't want to, we, we just kind of naturally neglect that first part. But that's the most important part because the commission stands on the authority. All authority has been given to me. So he's commanding us there. That's authority, right? Jesus establishes all of the authority structure of the church. Now, what is that authority structure of the church? 
Well, let's go to the book of Ephesians because the apostle Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 11. It begins by saying, it was he who gave, he being Jesus, he who gave. So Jesus institutes the authority of the church. So everything in the church falls under the authority of Jesus Christ. And then he institutes specific authority. What are those authorities? Well, we just read about one. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine. So it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. All of those roles are authority roles. To, for what purpose? Why is there authority in the church? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So authority is a central component to us reaching maturity in Jesus Christ. Did you see that? It's centrally important for us to understand how we fit in to the body of Christ and then how we function in the body of Christ until we all reach that maturity. And the people who have authority in the church, we might see that as, well, that's a privilege. Like that person got recognized, he gets to tell other people what to do. Authority is not just a privilege. It is also a burden. I want you to understand the burden of authority. I was uh, leading a, a devotional thought for communion because at the 48th Street campus, before we rehearse on Sunday morning, we take communion together and there's a meditation. And I took him to John chapter 10, verse 18. And this is the section of scripture where Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd and what the good shepherd does, like he lays down his life for his sheep. In the 18th verse, he says these words, I have the authority to lay my life down and I have the authority to take it up again. So when you think about authority, understand that that's not always fun. Jesus has authority to die horribly. That's really what John 10, 18 is saying, right? It's a burden, but with the exception of Jesus, it has never been a burden that has been designed to carry alone, never shouldered alone. That's why the church is designed not to have an elder, but to have a plurality of elders. That way, they all shoulder that burden together, right? And our elders, you need to know, don't make decisions on their own. They don't ever act unilaterally. They always act in concert with one another. We don't move forward with a decision until there is consensus among all the elders. They have to agree to that together. So it might slow us down, but it slows us down for a good purpose. Eldership is a role in the church that answers to the authority of Jesus. Now that's a powerful statement. And the Bible understands its power because it says that they're going to be judged more harshly because they're answering under the authority of Jesus. And that's why there needs to be voices in the church that exhibit a deep commitment to following Jesus. Well, how do I know that there's this deep commitment to follow Jesus? Well, 
since spiritual authority flows through the elders, there are specific requirements biblically for people to become elders, to fill this role. And at the crossing, and those are in Timothy and Titus, by the way, in your New Testament. And at the crossing, those candidates, they rise up over time. And they're seen by their commitment. Their commitment to ministry, to unity, to humility, and to love. Let me, t- let me just say one thing about that. Most of you, if I were to ask you name half of the elders, you couldn't do it. And that's okay with them. Because part of being an elder is being humble. It's not about, hey, I just got elder tattooed right here. Check this out, man. I'm an elder. Back off. It's not that way at all. It's just the opposite of that. Going unnoticed in the world, but doing that so we can glorify the Lord together. When the present elders see people that are rising up with those attributes and they fulfill the requirements in Timothy and Titus, they invite them into a year-long training time. That's right. It takes a year to do this. And they, they, they train with a serving elder. They sit on with the board of elders and they train. And this one elder is their mentor. And this time is called elders in training. And what it does is it gives a prospective elder time to see what being an elder is, gives him an opportunity to ask questions, to see if this is something that he could handle, his family could handle. They're willing to accept this burden and then to be able to work in concert with everyone else. Because what I said is there, that unity is essential, that the elders speak with a single voice. That's part of the role. What do the elders do? Well, they do a lot of things, but one of the main things they do is they oversee these crazy pastors we have right? Like me. They oversee the pastors and the pastors oversee the individual congregations. Now the word pastor means shepherd. It's the same word in the Greek language. And much of what pastors do is shepherding. And when I talk about shepherding, it's herding sheep, okay? Now I know that sounds a little bit derogatory. It's not meant to be that way. But when, when you see a shepherd working with sheep, this is what you see, leading Offering care, encouragement, and discipline. Pastors are required to do those four things. Now, two of those functions are received really well. Everybody's okay with that kind of authority, okay? They're fine with offering care. Like if you're in the hospital and someone comes to visit you and prays with you and holds your hand, that's great. That'll be just fine. If you have a loved one that died there at a funeral home or something and you're there with the, that's great. That's fine. If, if you need encouragement because you're in a tough time and someone's offering you counseling, I'm 100% all for that. But the other two, leading and discipline, not so much. Not so easy sometimes. And the Bible recognizes that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Do you hear that? They're held to this standard. It's kind of a scary one. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Sometimes we resist being led. That authority isn't comfortable for people. 
Like, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want somebody trying to manipulate my life. I don't want someone to come down on me hard and say, this is what you need to be doing, especially if it's discipline. People don't like discipline. People don't like, hey, that's not okay. I wonder how many of you, when you were kids in mom and dad's house, slammed the bedroom door when you didn't get what you wanted or stomped up the stairs. We don't like authority when they're kids and we don't change much when we grow up. As a matter of fact, we feel like we actually mature beyond the need for authority, but we never do. And none of us should ever do that because discipline is seldom received well. We've had people lash out at discipline in the church, in person, like up in your grill. We've had people lash out on social media, oh my, so much of that. We've had people lash out in rumors. But I want you to know this. Decisions of discipline at the crossing happen in unity. Pastors with elders and elders under the authority of God's word and never without agreement. You need to know that. It is no fun. Let me... Can I get a witness? It is no fun to be criticized by people who have a limited understanding of the circumstances. And that's one of the main reasons why authority can be a burden and not for everybody, because a lot of times you have to swallow those. Like you just can't go out, you know, if you're a leader in a church and say, well, let me tell you this. <laughs> no, you can't do that. Uh-uh. That's why you're in authority so that you'll have a measured response, so that you'll, you'll respond in a Christ-like way. Being a Christ follower, though, means to submit to spiritual authority. Now, here's something you need to know about spiritual authority, about church authority. I am not saying that church authority is always right at all. Just look at me. There are plenty of examples to the contrary because wherever people are, Problems come with them, right? And you've got problems. So you bring your problems with you. I bring my problems with me. And if I'm in a position of authority and I'm around another group of people that also have problems, we're not going to do everything right. Things are not, are rarely done. The only person who did everything right under authority was Jesus, right? But the Bible says, and the Bible says that God will judge leaders more harshly. That's why they don't operate alone. That's why they always operate in concert with one another. They have those other voices, the abundance of counselors speaking into their lives before we make a decision. That's why we have to slow down. However, trying to step out from under authority is not a good thing. How many of you ever heard the term church shopping? Come on, how many of you heard church shopping before? Yeah. I mean, don't you just picture like somebody with a, with a, with a grocery cart going... Just aisle four. That's the, that's the one. How many of you know somebody that church shopped and it lasted for like all of, you know, 18 months and then they, then boom, and then, and then later on, boom, and then later, boom, and boom, right? I really thought I wanted aisle four. I think I wanted aisle seven, right? Church hopping. And a lot of that is stepping out from under authority or saying, I'm just not going to commit to a church body. I'll go to church, but I don't want to be recognized as a member a participant because I don't, want to, I don't want that 
on me. You know, don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> and some people will join online. They'll join online because authority looks like an X button on their keyboard. As you don't like what's being said, you just go, boop, ha. That's not a way authority works. It works in relationship. There's a great story about authority in the New Testament. And it's a, a story of a widow who goes to the temple to give her offering. And, and, and offerings were received at the temple. And she's in line to give her offering. And of course, there's all these people with all this money. They're giving their offering. Some of them even had brought brass bands. Really, I'm not kidding. And they would like play trumpets. And then they'd put their money and check this out. <laughs> and here comes this invisible woman with her two copper coins. I can just see Jesus leaning up against a pillar and he leans in and he watches her drop those two copper coins in the offering and he goes, hold everything. Did you see what just happened? And nobody's everybody's going, what are you talking about? That woman, she just gave everything she had in the world. All these other people, they gave out of their abundance. They had all kinds. But this woman, she gave out of her poverty. What do you think? Do you think that God took care of her? Oh, I believe that God took care of her. And here's the thing. The people that were running the temple at that time, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, all those, they were corrupt. They were going to use that money wrongly. And you don't hear... You don't hear Jesus going, you know, that was a bad investment. He was looking at the woman's heart, and that's the way he looks at you and me. Where's your heart? Do you have a heart that submits to authority or not? Just last week, after church, I went out and a, and a guy crowded me, had a conversation with a guy who told me that he thought it was wrong that we were a multi-site church. And you know, like inside my head, I'm going, I got a whole lot to say. But I'm just listening to that. And I, as I tried to engage in the conversation, it was clear. He really didn't want to hear what I had to say. He just wanted to tell me what he thought. But in my mind, I'm thinking about, did you watch that baptism video? Did you see that baptism that happened in Jacksonville? Did you see the baptism that happened in the stock tank in Monmouth? Did you see that? I'm going, what about what God is accomplishing? What about the fruit that God is producing? You know what? When you see the fruit, you can know the root. You can know what God is accomplishing. And God is accomplishing great and mighty things. But that kind of stuff happens. Last week, I got an anonymous letter. Oh, don't you love anonymous letters? I got an anonymous letter from someone who said, I'm going to take a 10-week break from church because I don't agree with you using a Kanye West song to open up the sermon. And it was signed XX. Now, I don't know about your generation, but my generation, that meant something. It means kiss, kiss. So... Since I don't know who wrote the letter, I'm just going to take it that it was kiss, kiss. So I felt a whole lot better. I'm going, well, you know, if you sign it with kiss, kiss, it's not that bad. Right? Right? And I don't have to worry about offending that person because they're taking a 10-week break. So. All right. 
I've seen seen people quit giving or attending because we're doing a wreck the roof initiative. They question how we spend the money. They get angry. Listen, I've had people get really mad because we're not giving away free donuts. What in the world are you doing, Crossing Church? You're giving, not giving us our free donuts? Do you know that the line item for our donuts on our annual uh, budget was $50,000? Yeah, that was, I've been getting that. Oh, uh, what? Yeah, that kind of stuff. It never stops. And it can be withering. But, good place for a but. But, we witness people finding their identity in Jesus Christ for the first time. Yes, amen. We watch people drop their burdens right here at these steps and watch Jesus Christ take those burdens away. We get to witness children learning about how much Jesus Christ loves them. We see marriages healing. We see lives rearranging. We see victories won. Eternities are changed. God is lifted up and glorified. Amen? Yeah. Second service last week. Uh, I got done with the sermon on baptism. I was over on this side at the 48th Street location and there were, there were people coming forward to accept Christ. And I didn't even get done. I was down there on the floor and you know, I'm kind of giving my last little spiel and a guy, he just stands up. Are you here this week? I don't see you because you'd stand up right now. He just stood up and he goes, I'm co-. he didn't wait. He just came up and he just stood next to me. I'm ready. There he is. Right there. Okay. Thank you. Now, now, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm telling you the truth, right? So you have a cochlear implant, right? Yeah. And you had to, and you had to take it out, right? To be baptized. And you lip, you lip read the confession of faith. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. There's another guy that came up, saw him on the, on the uh, uh, video a little while ago, and he goes, I know that God was speaking directly to me, and I just could not say no anymore. What a victory. There was a teen here last week. You saw him get baptized with autism, and his family was visiting from Arizona, and uh, they, they came up here for the, the holidays and they had this like incredibly difficult time with their son getting up here, right? Uh, am, I talk, am I talking to you guys? Uh, anyway, anyway, and, and like out of the blue, this, this, this uh, young man comes forward and says, I'm ready to receive Christ. And mom's just like, done. Like, oh, so that was why we did all, so this is the reason. And he accepted Christ. And, and was baptized. And then, and then there was a fourth, uh, a fourth one that I talked to who, it was her birthday, and she goes, it's gonna be my spiritual birthday today too, so I'm gonna have the same birthday at the same time. And when she came up out of the water, she was experiencing her new birth in Christ. And the only reason I'm telling you those stories, because it happened nine different times just last week, is that it's hard, but it's worth it. It's just worth it. With all of our faults, with all of our inconsistency, with all of our hypocrisy, our brokenness, God's way is still the best way. And it'll always be the best way. And what we have to do 
What we have to do as believers is just take him at his word. Just take God at his word. Take Jesus at his word and live in that reality. And that's what these 10 things are all about, right? So maybe today, the issue that you're going to be dealing with with God, because right, you know, you're under conviction right now because you know, it's a th- I, I just spoke on authority and you struggle with authority. Maybe that's the business you do with God. Maybe when you come up in a little bit, that's what you're going to be talking to him about. Lord, help me kind of my you know, submission quotient go up because this is hard for me. I don't know what it is. Maybe you need to submit to Jesus Christ for the first time to submit to his authority as King of Kings and Lord of Lords for the first time. I don't know what else you need to do. But today's a day you can respond. I want you to consider that as we move to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.